A lot of people think that personality is innate, it's unflexible, it's who you always will be. At this point, it's pretty clear in the research that your personality is going to change over time. The question is, what's creating those changes? Rather than assuming that the past is the thing driving it, it's actually the future that's driving us. Our view of our own future is actually the biggest predictor of our feelings and our behaviors. Who we are in the present isn't who we're always going to be. Your future self will be a different person. They're going to be in a different environment, a different situation. They're going to have gone through experiences and learning that you personally haven't gone through yet. They're going to have different priorities, potentially different values and goals. You need to imagine who your future self is and you want to recognize that they're a different person. And the next step is obviously thinking, well, who do you want that person to be? Because that's what shapes your identity, is your view of your future self. And that's ultimately what's going to drive your behavior and ultimately your personality. The person you just heard is one of the most important writers in the world today, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Hardy is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author whose blogs have been viewed over 100 million times. He also just released an amazing new book called Personality Isn't Permanent. What Dr. Hardy suggests is that your personality is dynamic and malleable. It's something you can decide and create for yourself. When you understand how it works and the levers that move it, you can take control of who you will become and what you will achieve in life. This might be the most important episode we've ever put out on this podcast because it provides very real hope for anyone. Hope that you can become a better learner, become more flexible, more adaptive, and overcome the self-limiting beliefs that have held you back in your past. It's time to redefine and rewrite your own story with help from the insights of Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a fantastic guest today, and I'm deeply honored to be able to be with uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy today. Dr. Hardy is an organizational psychologist. Many of you may know him from his book called Willpower Doesn't Work, tremendous best-selling book. Ben went on to become the number one writer in the world on medium.com for a period of about four years. His blogs have been viewed over 100 million times. Uh, he has contributed to Forbes and Fortune magazines. He is a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today. 
Dr. Hardy has a new book now called Personality Isn't Permanent, which we're going to talk a lot about here today. He actually briefly sold Cutco back in the summer of 2010. Wasn't a particularly successful experience uh, in his case, but there are a lot of lessons in that that I think tied directly into the message that Dr. Hardy is sharing with the world. The subtitle of his book is called Break Free from Self-Limiting Beliefs and Rewrite Your Story, uh, completely fitting for the audience that we have here for our podcast. I'm really excited about this conversation. So Dr. Ben Hardy, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Of course. I'm very happy to be with you. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you mentioned in your book that personality is created, it's not discovered. Let's start right away with that topic and have you unpack that for us a little bit. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people think that personality is innate, it's unflexible, it's who you always will be. But if you actually look at people over time, it's easy to look at people as a snapshot and assume that that's who you're always going to be. And that's kind of what personality tests do is they give you a snapshot and then you think that that snapshot persists. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at people over long periods of time, there's been research that has literally followed people for 80 years, like literally followed the same people. <laughs> and when you watch over a long enough period of time, you'll see that things change quite a bit. And so at this point, it's pretty clear in the research that your personality is going to change over time. The question is what's creating those changes? Obviously, there's lots of things that create changes, but what about just who you want to be? So where the whole field of psychology is going, or at least the field of positive psychology is going, is, is rather than assuming that the past is the thing driving you, it's actually the future that's driving us. Our view of our own future is actually the biggest predictor of our feelings and our behaviors. In psychology, we call it perspection. But whatever your view of your future is, that's actually the thing driving your behavior, your future self, your future circumstances, your goals, the outcomes you want. In philosophy, they call it teleology. And so it's really your future. And I guess I would say really quickly, there is a difference between identity and personality. And really, your identity is what drives your personality. Your identity is how you view and describe and define yourself. It's how you explain yourself to other people. It's the story that you have for yourself. And so personality is created because we all assume an identity and that identity shapes our behavior. You know, if I call myself an introvert, I'm probably going to see myself as an introvert and I'm going to start acting like an introvert. Right. And so it forces us to be very intentional about our identity and intentional about our goals, because those are the things that shape our behavior, which over time become our personality. Mm. So insightful. The idea that our future drives our personality development. That's something I really want to get into. And I'm definitely going to ask you a lot of questions about that and, and how that happens. You referenced personality tests briefly just now. There's a quote that uh, you have in the book. It says, uh, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And I'm interested in your take on this because you know a lot of us have taken personality tests. I've taken a battery of them. And they reveal things about you that are pretty interesting. I think that we can learn something from them. But uh, the idea that somebody gets fixed into feeling like, well, that's who I'm always going to be is something that you promote as being detrimental to them. And, and tell us why you feel like personality tests can be more detrimental than helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So that quote, by the way, comes from Daniel Gilbert, who's a Harvard psychologist. Human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And the reason that matters a lot is because who we are in the present isn't who we're always going to be. If you think about it from a who you were in the past, 
who you are in the present is actually at least slightly, but to some degree could be in many ways different from who you were in the past. But human beings have this, it's just kind of a bias that we think that who we are right now is who we're always going to be. And so we under predict how much we're going to change in the future. We don't spend much time imagining that change. We just assume that who we are today is who we're always going to be. And personality tests can really solidify that belief that who you are right now is who you're always going to be. There's a huge emphasis on who you are right now. And so the tests give you a score, a label. By the way, I'm not against all personality tests. You can learn some things from personality tests. I'm mostly against the ones that are not very good science, not very good at explaining personality and ultimately throw you into a category and give you a label. Those things overemphasize the present and the past, and they don't give you any imagination or goals towards the future. What you do when you've assumed a label about yourself could be a label from any of the popular trendy personality tests. That label, when you've taken it seriously, becomes an aspect of your identity. And again, your identity shapes your behavior, which over time shapes your personality. And so when you've assumed a label that's very present or past focused, it stops you from imagining your future self being any different. You just assume your future self is going to be the same person you are today, which isn't going to be very good for changing your behavior in the future. It's not going to be very good for going outside your comfort zone. It's not going to be very good for any form of radical growth. And so that's, that's the major problem. I mean, there's several other problems with overly assuming a label about your identity. You know, it leads you to being mindless to all the times that the label's not actually true. But ultimately, what it does is it creates what Carol Dweck would call a fixed mindset, right. which is an overemphasis on the present and an underimagination towards the future. Wow, that uh, was powerful right there. Just the idea of overemphasizing the present and who we are right now and under estimating the changes that we can undergo in the future. You said there that we underpredict our own changes, you know, we all we do. hold on to these labels that we have. And I, I see, you know, in working with a lot of young people, I see a lot of them really transform over a short period of time. Like before we got on air, totally. we were talking about guys like John Berghoff and Hal Elrod that I had a chance to work directly with here in Cutco. And John in particular, you know, started in my organization and worked directly with me for five, six years. And you can definitely see a transformation in people like him and many, many, many others that I've had based on them setting goals and striving for something bigger than what they've done in the past and taking risks and evolving, right, as human beings. You describe, Ben, uh, an experience in your life that was really transformational for you, which was going on a church mission. Can you tell us a little bit about the transformation you experienced during that time? Totally. That was big for me because I came from a like really rocky background where I actually barely graduated from high school. I would not have been one of those 18-year-olds who was making six figures selling Cutco. Let's just say that. <laughs> I was playing World of Warcraft for 15 hours a day, living at my cousin's house on his couch, eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> that was that was me when I was John Berg off stage. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a loss of meaning and purpose in my life. I recently reread Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, a few times given COVID-19. And one of the things that Frankl talks a lot about is, is that if you lose a sense of hope and purpose towards your future, the present becomes meaningless and unbearable. Even if you're in decent circumstances, if you don't have something to look forward to or something you're actively working towards, you're not going to be happy. And that was kind of where I was at, was I was just losing purpose and meaning in my life around age 18 or 19 years old, playing video games all day. And a lot of it was just because I'd lost my meaning and purpose given just situation, honestly, my parents' divorce and other situational factors. But 
I decided to connect back with my faith and go on a church mission. And it was a peak experience to similar degrees that, you know, a cut coat could be for someone who really learns how to set goals, step out of their comfort zone. For me, I was out doing community service. I was reading tons of books. I was watching myself do things I'd never done. I was constantly trying stuff, knocking on doors or, or just doing service. I was doing all sorts of stuff way outside my comfort zone. And I was as a, and having all sorts of new experiences, reading tons of books. I was getting good help from good leaders, helping me to visualize my future and helping me to better understand and and let go of my past. And so I was having also, it was basically two years of peak experiences Hmm. and tons of learning, tons of confidence building, tons of journaling and setting goals and, and ultimately coming out a different person. And so, yeah, I just think the more a person can expose themselves to new things, try new things and get used to, you, you know, even in a similar way as Cutco, getting used to and comfortable with rejection. As a missionary, I got very comfortable with rejection. <laughs> and right. so I, I just think you get, you just, you develop confidence and you develop the, the sense that you can do a lot of things and you develop disciplines. So I got so much out of that experience. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Very cool. So I have a uh, various like core principles that I believe are really important in life. And, and one of those is the idea that we can choose the meaning for anything that happens in our life, right? You reference, you reference Viktor Frankl. And I think that's probably where I first read it. And really this concept took hold for me by listening and studying Tony Robbins back when I was younger. And he says, nothing in life has any meaning except the meaning we give it. And that became a very powerful sort of mantra for me. I would love to have you speak about the idea of meaning making. Uh, This is a topic you write about in the book and tell us about how this impacts our lives. Yeah. Wow. This is like such a big topic, my friend. I mean, it's, it really is almost everything. Your life is not what happens to you. It's about the meaning you gave to what happens to you, or it's the meaning you give to what's currently happening to you. And the more let's just say mature or developed, you become emotionally, the more you can proactively give better meanings. Usually the meaning we give to experiences is based on our emotional reaction. So something happens to you, it's negative. You know, let's just say you get fired at work and it sucks. It hurts, feels bad. And and usually the meaning we give is based on the initial emotions we feel. So it hurts, you're embarrassed or you're frustrated or you're scared. And so you, you give, you assign negative meaning to the experience. It was a horrible experience based on your feelings. Well, as you mature, that's actually not how you would assign meanings to experiences. Instead, you would step back and yeah, you'd have an emotional experience. I'm not saying you don't have emotional experiences, but you, you quickly get to the point where you say, what meaning can I give to this so that I can ultimately propel myself forward? What's the best way of looking at this so that I can move forward? What's the, what's the ultimate thing I can learn from this? So if you get fired, you would start to think of what's a positive and useful and beneficial meaning I can give to this so that I can take it and get the most out of it and learn from it rather than be defined by it and rather than be bitter because of it. And that's, that's a, it's called emotional regulation in psychology. And ultimately it's how you not only move forward fast from experiences and learn, but it's how you reframe and resolve trauma. It's just crucial. It's how, it's how you even move forward just for many learning experiences is ultimately assigning positive and beneficial meanings and taking all the learning you can from your experiences so that you can have a better future. Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach, who's a, a good friend of mine, he has a concept he calls the gap in the game, which I really personally like. You know, you can either focus on the gap or you can focus on the game. So if you lost your job, obviously you can find the gap. And, but if you look at the gains, what are all the gains you get now because of that? 
what are all the reasons that this thing is benefiting you or could benefit or help your future self? Mm-hmm. Then you can start to frame it in a meaningful way that gives you more agency in the future versus taking away your agency because of the past. Mm. So powerful that the idea of reframing any experience in a way that gives us agency in the future. That's exactly like what I try to help a lot of young people to realize who are working with us at Cutco is like the, the, the challenges that they experience in the big picture are really, really small. But their response to those things is indicative of how they're going to respond to the much bigger challenges that are going to come along later in life. And people have to learn how to adapt to something quickly, how to emotionally regulate. As you said, I can remember that term emotional regulation coming from Daniel Goleman's, you know, original EQ book many, many, many years ago. Huge, Um, dude. It's deep. And then you also said the more developed you are, the more proactively you can give better meanings to things. Right. So the more we're learning and growing, the more that we're exposing ourselves to concepts like this, the easier it becomes, right? To choose the meaning for things that happen. Right. Yeah. So like, so like I've been studying hope a lot lately. Actually, my next book's going to be all about hope, the science of hope. And hope isn't just optimism. It's, it's actually like if you hope for something, it means you're proactive. You first off, you have a huge sense of agency that you actually can get what you want. So you have confidence, but also there's a concept in hope called pathways thinking, which basically means that you can find alternative pathways to getting what you want. People with high hope are often unconventional in the ways that they achieve their goals because they're willing to find multiple different paths to getting what they want. Whereas people with low hope, they often do the same path over and over again, and it's clearly not getting them the result they're looking for. Right. And so I think what I like about kind of where we're going with this is just, if it's not working, learn from it, take it, learn from it, and then ultimately have a better future because of it rather than just repeating it because you just are unwilling to learn from it. And just one quick thought to connect that. When I say proactive at at moving forward, one of the things like when you study high performers like Kobe Bryant and stuff, they've got a very short memory. Like if Kobe misses the shot, he's not going to assign a negative meaning to that, which is going to limit him in the future. He's going to just move on and get back to the future. And uh, the faster you can assign a positive meaning to the experience and move forward, They call that a refractory period. You close the loop. The faster you can just assign a positive meaning and just learn from it, the bigger your future will be because now you're learning from your experiences rather than getting hung up by every single experience. Mm. So you can adjust your ways. You know, like the high hope people, you can come up, you can take it as feedback and ultimately find a better approach to achieving your goal rather than continuing to repeat the same thing over and over. Yeah. So compelling. So compelling. That's, That's awesome stuff. I've got another uh, quote in the book, and I actually want to read something out of here and ask you about it, because this was something that really, really struck me as I was going through the book. So you say, uh, our true and authentic self isn't who we currently are. Instead, it is our deepest held aspirations, dreams, and goals. And then this is what you wrote here. This is uh, on page 120 for anybody that has the book. Rather than facing our fears and rather than facing the truth, we avoid them. Rather than creating the life we want, we build the life that allows our problems to exist unresolved. Rather than becoming the person we want to become, we stay the person we are. Rather than adapting our personality to match our goals, we adapt our goals to match our current and limited personality. So what I get out of that is that we're so overly shaped by negative experiences that we just develop a fixed 
mindset, right? How does someone break free from that, Ben? First off, you have to ultimately, again, as we've talked about, change the meaning of those former experiences, which were negative. You have to actually look back on them with different eyes and recognize that you are not the same person you once were. You did have negative experiences in the past, but you don't have to give those experiences the same meaning. You can actually start to view them as rather than that that happened to me, that happened for me. That's something that I can use. And ultimately, I'm grateful for that. And I can use that because now in the future, I now know better and I can move forward. So part of it's actively choosing a positive meaning towards your past and ultimately owning and viewing the past as I'm grateful that that happened. That's a big paradigm shift. Rather than being still bitter and angry, you say, I'm super glad that that happened. That's a crazy thing, even if something really bad did happen. Saying, you know what, I'm glad that that happened because now it's brought me to this knowledge, this point, and now, therefore, I can do this. But ultimately, what you have to do in order to move forward is you do have to start really taking the time to think about who's the person you want to be, what are the circumstances you want to have, and then ultimately fueling that so that you can actually have genuine hope. And the way you fuel it is you start getting support in multiple ways. You start listening to better information, media that teaches you, that gets you in the right mindset. You start removing the negative media and the negative influences that are killing your hope, killing your confidence. You start setting goals and getting support on those goals, maybe investing in mentors. You start actually building a support and accountability around the future self that you want. And just by making simple progress, any form of intentional or courageous action towards your goals will increase your subconscious. It'll increase your view of what you can do. It'll increase your confidence. And so by having a goal and by making small steps and by educating yourself, by fueling yourself with positive media and removing the negative media, you start to develop that hope and you start to develop that sense of agency. And then ultimately you've got to be adaptive. You've got to try stuff and learn from it, meaning you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail, and you're going to take that and say that happened for me, I'm going to learn from it rather than and you're going to get more adaptive at trying better ways and learning better ways to achieve goals. You have to not only have the confidence that you have the goal, but you've got to get better at finding better ways to achieve those goals. There's a quote that I once heard. Honestly, it's a Joe Polish quote, but it's just a simple quote. But he says, winners find ways. So in order to have hope and even motivation, you not only have to have a goal, but you have to believe you can do it and see a pathway to getting it. And so part of developing that hope and that motivation and that confidence is not only developing the belief in the agency that you can do it, but learning new and different ways to accomplish what you want to. Because the way you're currently doing it isn't going to get you to where you want to go. What got you here won't get you there. You need to find new and better ways and get more adaptive at trying better strategies and finding better strategies to creating a better future. Mm. So much uh, that we could talk about right there in that last answer, Ben, but uh, I'm going to ask you specifically about some of these things that you just shared about committing to a major goal, using support. You talked about that. I do feel like that having people around you who can help you is such a big piece of being able to break free from that that fixed mindset. I just think that you know, if you have mentors around you and you tell them about a challenge, the way that they respond to the challenge tells you a lot about how you should respond to the challenge. You know, I, I try to teach my daughter. I have a six-year-old daughter. I try to teach her like she doesn't have to be afraid if I'm not afraid, right? Like we're walking somewhere. Like if she sees that I'm not afraid, she doesn't have to be afraid. And I think that when 
like somebody comes to you with a challenge, if you're a mentor or a leader, and you respond with sort of cool, calm confidence that, okay, well, we got this. Let's talk about how we're going to do this. What's in our control? What are our next steps? It's just this teaching people how to respond to challenge and not frame it as such a negative experience, but that it's just something that they can learn from and they can move forward from. That was a really good part of what you just shared right there that I thought was insightful and definitely a there lot actually, of that. Just as a, as a quick add-on, there's a theory actually in psychology, but it's been studied quite a bit. It's called self-expansion model. And the whole theory is based on the idea that our confidence as people and confidence or efficacy is our ability to produce results in our life. So some people have the efficacy or the confidence to create a million dollars. Other people have the efficacy, you know, ability to produce a result bigger or smaller. But the view of the theory is, is that our confidence is based on the resources we have in our life that we get not only from ourselves, mm-hmm. but from, from our relationships. So when you add a relationship to your life, where it could be a mentor, what you do is, is you, you take the resources that you get from that person and you, you embed them into yourself. So like, if you have a mentor who has a lot of knowledge, you now have that knowledge as part of yourself because that's a relationship you have. So you, you get resources and that could be knowledge. It could be money. It could be network. It could be viewpoints. It could be experience. But whenever you develop relationships, you get the resources in different forms of the people you're in a relationship with. And that expands you as a person and gives you the confidence and the ability to produce different results. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. That I always felt like the ability to have a really positive support network has been one of the things that has helped me to do well in my life. I feel like I was very lucky to be around some great people that have been instrumental in helping me move forward. And and they've taught me a lot about exactly what we're saying about how to reframe the challenges we experience, how to set goals and all these kinds of things that, uh, that are important that you're sharing that you espouse here in your book. What do you think of Dr. Benjamin Hardy so far? Listen, I know this is an extremely content-rich episode of the podcast, so I wanted to interrupt just to encourage you to check out the detailed show notes at changinglivespodcast.com. Did you know that you can also access a video of this conversation, as well as many other CLSK episodes by visiting our YouTube channel? Just go on YouTube and search on Changing Lives Podcast, Dan Cassetta, and you will find a menu of videos there. You got to add my name on there. Evidently, some other lady shows up when you just search on Changing Lives Podcast. Maybe what she has to say is pretty cool too, but we know that what we have to say here on this podcast is really cool. So check it out on video if you like that form. And in order to be sure you hear about all the podcast episodes and other ideas that I share, feel free to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. My handle is just Dan Cassetta on all of those platforms. In the rest of this episode, you're going to hear a little bit about Ben's experience selling Cutco, how to reframe challenging experiences, and specifically how Ben suggests that you define your future self. Ben will also share details about his culture wall in his home, one of the coolest concepts you'll ever hear about. I'm very proud to be bringing you such an important topic today. Now let's get right back to Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I know you you sold Cutco briefly. It was summer of 2010. It was Salt Lake City where this was happening. And in your case, it wasn't a particularly successful experience. There are a lot of reasons why someone might come and go and cut co pretty quickly. 
what I think is relevant is for you to share from a perspective of people who have experiences in their life where they don't hit their goals, where they don't succeed, what are some of the specific ways that we reframe these types of experiences? Yeah. Well, ultimately, there's a few different things. One is, is if you don't hit a goal that ultimately you didn't care about, like there's a lot of reasons in my case why I didn't personally succeed in Cutco. One was that just I couldn't translate in my mind how Cutco would help me achieve my bigger goals. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what I learned from that experience was first off, I learned one thing is that I learned what I didn't want. So I learned to pursue different means to achieve my desired end. So I think sometimes we're trying to like get to, you know, get to B, but A is not actually going to get us there. You know, we need to find a different path to getting there. Right. And so for me, it helped me to ultimately find more direct approaches to my goals. And I think sometimes we push off our dreams and say, well, once I get all this worked out over here, then I can go over here. And part of me failing at Cutco helped me really understand and realize I can actually make a more direct path towards my goal. Yes, mm-hmm. if I got really good at Cutco, and I know a lot of people who could, I could make a good income. And I'd build my confidence. My, But for me, I just decided and realized that that wasn't personally the means that would ultimately help me decide to achieve my ends as a professional writer. I, I actually view it as a positive experience. You know, So first off, view it as a positive experience, be grateful for it, and ultimately decide what you can learn from it so you can, again, choose a better path. But if you're failing at something that is clearly something that you're on a, on a path towards and that you're just not quite there yet. So like if you're someone who's trying to sell Cutco and you're trying to reach a certain goal, but you missed your goal, rather than being upset, take the failure, even though you could still frame it as a success. You could frame it as a gain, not a gap. Right. But ultimately, you have to kind of recover to some degree from the failure give yourself a second, maybe journal, maybe talk to some key people about it. But ultimately what you need to do is you need to get back to your vision and find a better way, find a better path, ask better questions, maybe get better mentoring, maybe learn from why you didn't hit the goal. So like as an example for myself, I might've already mentioned this, but I've been working on the book proposal for my next book and my agent is tough. Like she will not let me submit something that's not just incredible. And every once in a while, I, like I'll finish a draft and send it to her and she'll be like, it's not there yet. Not even close. And I just put my heart and soul into that thing. And she'll, <laughs> and she's like, not even close. I'm like, I can't even imagine it getting better. And all of a sudden it feels like a dagger just got thrust at me and I'm down. You know, I'm like, oh, maybe I just don't even want to write this book. Maybe I don't want to work with her anymore. Those are the immediate meanings that I'm giving to the experience because of how hard it feels. But if I just give myself some space to recover and quickly close that refractory loop as we're talking about and ultimately choose a better meaning, if I could start to say, think about a better meaning, she's not trying to be mean. She has my best interest at heart. Her income is on the line as well. So obviously she wants me to do well. She's holding me to a standard above what I'm holding me to. How can I really listen to the comments she's saying? So I'm, I think just really listening and learning from your failures or from just you're not being there yet whatever it may be. And ultimately, I've found that the faster I just listen to my experiences and the faster I listen to my mentors, the faster I can take my learning or my failures or my experiences and translate it into a bigger vision of my future and a better path to getting there. Listening to my agent, as an example, give comments on my proposal. I'm like, if I actually listened and read it and was humble enough to like see it, I'm like, she's completely right. That makes no sense, that part of the proposal. Or 
So ultimately finding a better way to achieve the goal. So I just think listening to your experiences, learning from them, framing them in a positive way, being a learner, um, not being defined by the present. Again, I'm not defined by what she said to me. I'm defined by my vision and taking the present, learning from it, but ultimately committing back to the future. And, and because of what I just learned from this experience, my future now just got bigger. Yeah, that was great. Just the idea of initially viewing every experience from the lens of is, what is the positive benefit and being able to look for that even in the most difficult experiences, being grateful for all the experiences. I think that's easy to do when you look back on experiences five years, 10 years down the road, like you're typically, you are grateful, like, oh, that helped shape me. And being you grateful can realize, the same day. Right. If you can realize like, that right in there. the moment, yeah, in the moment, realize that, you know, I'm going to be grateful for this down the road. I might as well just start today, right? By finding getting there what there faster. is to be grateful for. Yeah. Getting you know, there we faster. all resist. There's a concept where lessons are repeated until learned. And we resist choosing to just be grateful for the experience and choosing to actually learn from the experience. So the sooner you can just say, I'm just going to learn from this right now. It's happening right now in here real time. I'm just going to take this experience and learn from it so that I don't repeat it. The faster you can get to that point, the faster you'll move forward, the bigger your future will be. Yeah. Yeah. That was really excellent. And then, you know, what you shared about getting feedback from your agent and at first you kind of grapple with it and then you realize like, oh, maybe there is some truth in this. I think that really is a great lesson that applies to all the feedback we get from the world about ourselves. I just posted something on my social media that I, I'm pretty sure I got from you. Like, I can't always remember who I, where I get stuff. So f- forgive me if I didn't credit you, but it's a picture and it says you can't read the label from inside the jar. Right. Yeah, is yeah. that yours? Uh, yeah, that was in an email I sent you. Is that yours? Okay. So there you go. Ben Hardy, credit uh, for that. Well, one. that's not my quote, but uh, um, the picture I sent you with the gaping void, the gaping void image was, yeah, from me. Yeah. And just that idea that we should be very grateful for people who are willing to point out what they're seeing on the outside, what they're seeing totally. on the label totally. that we can't see. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's a huge point in development that I think is a critical element, particularly for a lot of the young people that I get to work with is like the idea of really being grateful when there's somebody who will call you out or who will tell you, Hey, I noticed this about you that you can improve upon. Like that's awesome to be able to have people around that can help us see those things. And you can expand the jar when you start actually getting feedback that allows you to notice <laughs> what's going on. I mean, uh, if you're really ready for massive change, you'll do that. You'll seek lots of feedback and be open to hard truths and then mm. be willing to hear them and make changes. You know, like one of the things we recently did because my younger brother was struggling with addiction, we did what was called a intervention. And an intervention is basically because a lot of people, they just don't believe they have a problem even though like they've got met their life's messed up, it's falling apart, but they don't see it because you can't see the label from the jar. And sometimes people just, we all are ignorant in many ways of our own shortcomings, but a lot of us also know where we need to make changes, but we just haven't yet made that commitment. But there's sometimes where we just literally don't believe there's a problem with what's going on. And, and so in the case of addiction, we did what's called an intervention where like eight or nine of my brother's like core relationships, like aunt, uncle, father, mother, brother, we all just, surprised him one day because sometimes you have to surprise someone on this and sat him down and just said you know we all shared our thoughts we gave him a 360 degree mirror and showed him the label that he couldn't see you know Mm -hmm. he just told him look we're worried about you here's how your addiction has impacted our relationship we're worried we really believe you need to go get treatment if you don't our relationship can't be the same because we can no longer enable you in this addiction 
And like in having like five to 10 people share with him how their relationship has been negatively impacted because of his addiction and giving tangible examples. Three weeks ago, you said we were going to meet for lunch and you never showed up, you know, like just giving tangible examples. And this is kind of a hard situation. This is kind of like, but we were able to give him a 360 degree mirror that humbled the heck out of him. And we're like, will you go get help? Like, can we, as a team, go help you get, he was like, he saw the jar and he saw the label pretty, pretty clearly. And it was humbling enough where he was like, yeah, I think you're right. I should probably go do this. You know, hopefully we don't need to get to that point where someone has to come and do an intervention. Hopefully instead we can be seeking to see the labels, you know, and hopefully we can seek to be getting feedback and rather than shielding ourselves from understanding why we're stuck, we should be actively seeking to figure out how we can get unstuck. Right. And then seeking to see the labels begins with somebody believing that they're not stuck the way they are, that they can choose, that they can evolve. You'd have to have a belief in your future. Yeah. It all circles back to like the core principle of your book, which is why I feel like your book is so important. I wrote in a review of the book that I sent you that I feel like your book can give people hope. Because there's so many people that just don't have that belief that they can evolve, like they are stuck. And just beginning to understand that that's not the case, that anybody can grow, change, evolve, your personality isn't permanent. All of those things that you talk about, it's just so compelling and it's so so important for people to hear. Thank you, man. Well, what's interesting, and again, I'm diving deep into hope right now, is that Without hope, you can't have a sense of agency. Without hope, you can't be motivated. Like if you don't believe things can get better and that you have say in that, you can't do anything about it. Your agency is gone. And so hope really is crucial to develop and to cultivate. And without it, you can't do not anything. Like as a society, but think about with it. You know, you think about like the George Washingtons. I mean, you just think about anyone, even in business. And you know, I know you're there in Silicon Valley or even the young Cutco guy. If you can have hope and believe in a future, and then if you can find better ways to creating that future and develop the confidence and the capability so much is possible with hope and without it almost nothing is yeah yeah awesome i want to ask you about something i read in the book that i felt like i wasn't sure if i agreed with at first and i want to kind of get your take on this so you reference research in the book that says that over a 10-year period of time you're just not going to be the same person what was sort of inferred in what you were saying here was the idea that everyone evolves. But I feel like I know people who are the same as they were 10 years ago. People who just haven't changed or evolved. And I'm wondering, I feel like that it requires a conscious, constant effort to be able to grow and evolve. Isn't that true that change requires this sort of constant conscious effort? Otherwise, you you sort of gravitate towards being the same? I think change does not, but growth does. So change is inevitable. Growth is optional as a concept. I agree with you that a lot of people don't go through much growth and maybe even not that much change, but change does happen. Every single person that you may be referencing that hasn't grown that much, let's be honest, they actually have changed in various ways. We may not be aware of those changes. They may even just be their parents died and they're a little different, you know, but I'm with you that that's why in order to have a lot of learning and growth and peak experiences, you do have to be conscious. You have to actually have a vision of your future self and you have to actually be taking steps in that direction on a daily basis to have a lot of deep growth. But from a research perspective, and I tend to agree with it, people do change. Our views of them might not 
let them change. Our views of them might be biased. I know, for example, like as an example, my son, my son, Caleb, 12 years old, when we got him at seven, because we adopted him from the foster system, we did notice one of the things about Caleb is that first off, he's a very fun, loving boy, loves to play, likes to try to get out of work, maybe more so than his younger siblings. Well, that's a trigger for me. That's something that I've noticed a lot about Caleb over the years. And it's something that when it comes up, my senses really sharpen when I notice him doing that and I get upset. And so there was a recent experience where Caleb was trying to get out of some of like his chores or something. And I'm like, Caleb, why are you always trying to get out of your chores? Like, this is a problem. And thankfully, my wife corrected me. And she's, I can't see the label from outside the jar. Mm -hmm. She was like, Ben, first off, don't talk to Caleb like that because it's not true. He's not always trying to get out of stuff. Yeah, he maybe sometimes does, but actually. And then she pointed me to his own behavior earlier that morning about how he was very on top of it, proactive, rocking it. And she's like, he's been super good over the last like year or two. And it made me step back for a second because again labels create tunnel vision you know and, and our own biases create tunnel vision and so we can assume that even we're the same person we were five years ago and not recognize we've actually changed a lot and so in in having a fresh perspective in psychology we call that mindfulness labels create a loss of mindfulness which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why you wouldn't want to be so definitive in your current identity because it would stop you from being mindful to the changes that are possible but I was able to see that actually Caleb had changed more than I thought he had. And that my own biases made my view of him less. I was blind to my own biases. But to your point, I agree with you that people grow way less than they could. And that it does take conscious effort to make massive growth or any real growth. And that people tend to not grow as much as they could because they're not actively seeking and, and consciously pursuing a future self. Right. Right. Well, in the time we have left, let's talk about this idea of the future self and how someone defines it. And then what are some of the, the key ideas that help someone move in that direction? So why don't you start by telling us, you know, how would you counsel someone to define their future self? First step is to recognize that they're not the same person you are today. Again, who you are today is not the be all end all. Your future self will be a different person. They're going to be in a different environment, a different situation. They're going to have gone through experiences and learning that you personally haven't gone through yet. They're going to have different priorities, potentially different values and goals. They probably will have different goals. <laughs> Think about, they're going to have different desires. Think about your own self right now. There are certain things that you wanted, potentially even really badly, five, 10 years ago that you just don't want anymore. Maybe you're not even interested anymore. Right. That's going to be true of your future self. The things that maybe you overly value or prioritize or pursue right now may be uninteresting to your future self. So it's first off important to recognize that they're a different person and that obviously it takes imagination to even consider who your future self is. Daniel Gilbert at Harvard said that most people spend very little time imagining their future self. So you, you need to imagine who your future self is and you want to recognize that they're a different person. And the next step is obviously thinking, well, who do you want that person to be? <laughs> who do you want your future self to be? And what do you want their circumstances to be like? What do you want their characteristics to be like? If you really thought about who's the person you ultimately want to become, let's just say in three, five, 10 years from now, and they were to come and talk to you, what would they be like? You know, what would they share with you that has happened in the last few years? So you want to think about just all the elements, who you are in your relationships, who you are in your career, who you are just as a person, your health, your fitness, whatnot, just where you are as a person, because that's what shapes your identity is your view of your future self. And that's ultimately what's going to drive your behavior and ultimately your personality. And so you actually just need to define it, define in detail who you want to be and what you want your life to be like and where you want to be as a person. And then, you know, a next step would be to start 
actively telling people about who you want to be because your identity is based on the story you tell about yourself. And the story you tell about yourself drives your behavior and over time your personality. So you need to really start telling people about your goals and about what you're trying to accomplish and then ultimately getting accountability around them. Yeah, that's really great about the, the idea of talking to people about the goals. We talked about this a little bit before about the support that you can create around you when you're sharing with people who it is that you want, what it is that you want. You also talk about the power of committing to one major goal in helping to create your future self. Why is that important? Because focus creates motivation and momentum. Basically, the idea is, is when you've decided your future self, you need to actually set a tangible goal that will help you get there. And usually, if your future self is pretty clear, you can think about if one major outcome were true, everything else would fall into place. So for me, when I, when I was seeking to become a professional writer, I was in graduate school. And my, my future self was someone who was a professional writer writing major books, you know, like the one we're talking about now. But you need to actually turn that future self or that imagination into a goal. It can't be like 50 goals, because if there's 50 goals, then that creates a complex pathway. Again, if motivation and hope are based on the pathway to getting there, usually it's better to have a streamlined path. If there's like 50 paths, then your motivation and your hope are going to start to fade because it'll just feel too complicated. That's why it's really nice to conceptualize one major goal. It forces you to focus, but it also allows you to create a path to accomplishing that one thing. And usually in the pursuit of that one thing, you'll accomplish several others as well. So for me, my one major goal, which takes time to conceptualize, you know, became I wanted a six-figure book deal. Mm -hmm. I wanted a six-figure book contract. And if I were to achieve that, then I could be making a good enough living to provide for my family, but I'll be a professional writer. And so by pursuing that one goal, I had to get good at a lot of other things. I had to get good at blogging, writing, building an audience, conceptualizing ideas. And so you, you develop a lot of things by pursuing a single goal, but without that one goal, you're going to lack focus. And I think people have way too many goals, which means that they haven't truly committed to one specific thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So imagining the future self is where it starts being able to truly envision some of the facets of that, writing it down, whether it's journaling it down or creating written can. goals. Yep. Having that, having goals and particularly the, the one key goal, telling other people about our future self, about our goals, about what we want to create accountability and also to speak it into reality, to build that identity. And then I think what's also important is having a vehicle to be able to put this all together, right? Being in some type of work or role where you can actually implement these concepts on a day-to-day -day basis so that you're moving in that direction steadily. Yeah, I agree. You know, whether you're like selling knives and you've got a mentor and stuff like that, freaking awesome. That's a, you know, for me and different roles provide different opportunities. You know, like when I was a missionary, that was a very different role than I'm in right now. But that role, that role was an amazing vehicle for transformation. My role now, you know, as a husband, as a father, and the cool part about human beings is we're in roles and we're going to show up differently based on those roles. You know, like I'm an entrepreneur and a leader, but I'm also an author and a writer, and sometimes a coach. And so these different roles can be different ways that you can use these principles, these goals to transform. So I, I love what you said there. Yeah. Fantastic. There's one more core principle that I'd, I'd like to share with you that I have that ties into what you talk about, Ben. And it's the idea that repetition creates buy-in. This is something I've trumpeted uh, with a lot of people that I, I develop is it just the idea that we need to 
repeatedly hear a good idea for us to really truly begin to buy into it in the long term. We need to be consistently reminded of our goals, reminded of the things that we want. I would love for you to speak about your concept of strategic remembering. Mm. And I would love for you to tell our audience about the culture wall in your home. Nice. So strategic remembering is really about designing your environment so that you're constantly reminded of who you want to be. You can do simple things like setting reminders on your phone, you know, like text your wife, your lover, you know, like, or like go get, you know, just, you can set reminders. Your environment is constantly triggering and reminding you of the person you want to be. You know, you can have your goals on a whiteboard in front of your face. Why, you know, or you can have, you know, a vision board if you wanted. It's just about creating an environment that constantly reminds you because it's so easy to forget in the busyness of the day. And if you don't have all these reminders, days, weeks, months, years could go by and you sometimes remember, oh yeah, I forgot that I really wanted to do that. It's about having an environment that stops you from forgetting and actually constantly pulls you forward. There's a quote actually from Marshall Goldsmith. He said, if we do not create and control our environment, our environment creates and controls us. So if you don't have reminders that are taking you towards your future self, then you do have reminders that are taking you somewhere because the environment is always reminding you of something. It Mm. might be reminding you of how bad the economy is, you know, if you're watching the news. Like it could be reminding you of a million different things, but instead you want reminders that are taking you the direction your life wants you to go. And so I had a culture wall created. I'll give you the link. So it's 20 pictures that will teach you more than reading 100 books. I wrote an article showing my culture. Well, I've actually had three created at this point. <laughs> but it's basically, so there's a culture design company called Gaping Void. Gaping Void is an amazing company that creates culture. They, they seriously have done culture walls and done several culture things for like the US Air Force, for Microsoft, for Zappos. They're just a cool company. I love them. But one of their concepts is what they call culture wall. So what they do is, is they, they download your belief system, which is basically your beliefs, your values, and things like that. And then they turn it into what they call semiotics, which is basically like, it's like strategic art. It's not really art. So like, if you think of like a, like a, a cross, a cross is a symbol, which, which has a lot of meaning to it. It's not, you wouldn't consider the cross necessarily a piece of art. You'd consider it a symbol, which imbues meaning, which can maybe motivate action. That's a semiotic. And so what they do with your values and your beliefs is they turn it into art essentially or semiotics. And, and so for me, I've got like 20 pictures on my wall and they're really cool. I'm in my office right now, but I have a huge culture wall here. I've got a 40 tile culture wall here. So if you look behind me, that is a culture wall. Here's a smaller one right there. But this big bad boy is a culture wall. Wow. Yeah. And it's just got lots of concepts, you know, like there's my outside window, but this thing's just got lots of concepts that a lot of them are in the book, honestly, never be the former anything. But these are just concepts that I want in my environment. As I read them, they remind me of principles, as you described, principles that I just want in my face that allow me to be inspired. And I want my kids to be influenced by that environment so that those ideas are subconsciously seeping into their heads. And so that's my culture wall. That is so cool right there for everybody that's listening on audio. Uh, that was really cool. And we'll definitely get a picture posted on my social media and, and then in the show notes as well for this episode on uh, changinglivespodcast.com. Ben, just to finish up here, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're at the hour. Uh, what are you most excited about for your future? writing my next book and sharing personalities and permanent with as many people as possible. And also being a really good dad, you know, being a good dad and good father. I mean, good, good dad and good husband. I'm focusing 
kind of like the idea of having one major goal. I'm, my own future is narrowing increasingly on the things that I want to invest in, the things I care about, and the things I want to uh, devote my energy to. And just increasingly excited for the simple things, but also excited to dive deeper into cool ideas. You know, as I said, I'm writing a book on hope. So yeah, just love the future and really excited for it. Yeah. Well, listen, you're doing really important work, Ben. I really appreciate what I've learned from you. I'm a big fan for sure. And uh, will be a big supporter uh, here in, in moving forward. And really grateful that you took some time to share your information with our audience today. I think they're going to get a ton out of it. Thank you for all the principles you shared with me. And thank you for uh, supporting personalities and permanent. All right. Awesome. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, everyone. Wow. That was an amazing conversation. And uh, I trust that you got a ton out of this episode of the podcast today. The idea that personality is created, not discovered, and that what drives it is our vision of the future. Such a powerful idea that we're not stuck being who we are right now. It's important to realize that the future you, five years from now, 10 years from now, will be different in so many ways. You're going to have five or 10 new years of experiences, five or 10 new years of lessons. Your wants and desires will change. You will evolve. And if you recognize that you will be different, then you become more deliberate about crafting how you will be different, envisioning your future self, writing it down, how you want to be, who you want to be, setting goals that are consistent with that and driving your personality evolution through setting goals versus allowing your goals to be limited by your current and past personality, who you are, who you were, telling other people about your goals. And then, of course, having a vehicle to put those goals and that personality evolution into action through your work. If you're working in Cutco, you have that vehicle. If you're working someplace else, hopefully you feel like you have that vehicle to be able to set goals that are consistent with who you want to become in the future that are helping you to evolve in that direction. And so that you're making that conscious effort to change and to grow. Ben said in there, if you're really ready for massive change, then, and he offered a prescription of ideas and concepts of things that you can be doing that can help you to experience that change. I just want to stop and say, there is no if you're ready for massive change, if you're ready for massive growth. If you're part of this audience, you are interested in massive change. You are interested in massive growth, in becoming more than you are now. And one of the important principles to keep in mind is the idea of meaning-making being able to proactively and quickly give a better meaning to things that happen to you. This means getting over things that could be viewed as negative much more quickly. In Vector, we teach what we call the five-minute rule, right? which basically says it's okay to be negative for about five minutes. And at that point, come on, get over it, right? I understand that doesn't apply to the most tragic circumstances in life. I get that, everyone. But most of the experiences we, that we have on a day-to-day -day basis that tend to defeat most people or hold people back are things that you can move past much more quickly and learning to be able to develop that emotional regulation, reframe your experiences in a way that will serve you. That is critical. And then, of course, remembering the things that you want. 
creating a system of reminders, whether it's people who are reminding you, talking about them. Ben's idea of the culture wall is awesome, right? It gave me a lot of thoughts about how I could create a culture wall in my home or a culture wall for my kids in particular. Really, really good stuff right there. The book is called Personality Isn't Permanent. We will post a link to buy the book in our show notes, and I would recommend it highly to everyone. You can go to changinglivespodcast.com, look for Ben Hardy's episode. And if you liked what you heard today from Dr. Benjamin Hardy, my ask is that you share it with other people who can similarly benefit from this great content. Uh, Of course, the podcast is provided as a free service to the world. And the more people who share it with other people, the more we're able to reach others and have the most positive impact possible. And so please consider sharing the podcast with others. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please write a review right now. It only takes a few seconds. Tap the five rating on whatever podcast player you're listening to. That makes a difference as well. I sincerely appreciate those things. I hope you appreciate this amazing guest that we have brought to you today, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Thanks so much, everyone, for supporting the podcast. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.